Metropolitans. How are we all doing? Happy Wednesday to you all. Uh, how you been enjoying the playoffs? Have they been wacky or what? What a day yesterday was. Cody Bellinger. Now, I always remember Cody like swinging at his kneecaps and hitting the ball out, but he hit some high cheese yesterday and that whole thing turned around. And how about the Astros without any starting pitching? They're right back in it. Now, don't you wish it was our Metsies who are right back in it? Well, never give up faith. We will be there eventually. I remember in 2014 when Kansas City played uh, San Francisco in the World Series, I said to myself, you know what? I think next year we're going to be here. I didn't know if we'd be playing Kansas City, but I just knew looking at Kansas City and San Francisco, the Mets weren't too far behind. And uh, I keep saying as... I watched these playoffs. If we had a healthy DeGrom right now, there's a good chance we would have been in the postseason right now. As I look, as we separate ourselves from the 2021 regular season, I keep saying, why aren't the Mets in the playoffs? And all you can do is, it seems like everything leads back to Jacob DeGrom's injury. I mean, let's face it. Everyone's talking about MVP years. And at that point, I think DeGrom was the MVP of the National League when he went down. And, uh, he could very well have been the MVP if he even somewhat continued the pace he was on. So what we need is health next year. We need health. We need a healthy Syndergaard. We need a healthy DeGrom. And by all means, we can't have just Brandon Nimmo and J.D. Davis hitting the first two months of the year like they did this year. Well, J.D. may not even be on the team next year. But uh, the bats were horrible the first two months of the year. And let's face it, the pitching was phenomenal, and that's the reason we, we were in first place. But once the Grom went down, as good as Stroman was, he couldn't carry us. And Taiwan Walker disappeared in the second half of the year. And uh, things just kind of snowballed. Uh, let's face it, it was fun while it lasted. But we do have to look forward to next season. But before we can do that, there's a lot of things that need to be solved. And uh, like I said, the playoffs are a distraction. Because we're looking at what's going on in the playoffs and thinking, well, it's still the baseball season. Well, for the Mets, it's no longer the baseball season. It's the off season. They need to get in gear because once the World Series ends, the dominoes start falling pretty quickly. And the Mets are going to have to go out there and search for their general manager or president of baseball operations, whatever you want to call it, and then get a general man uh, regular manager. Uh, I doubt they would hire a manager first before any general manager because the general manager basically wants to set the table with the... Silverware he wants for the upcoming baseball season. 
But who is that going to be? Like I lamented yesterday, we had the big three turners down. We had Billy Bean, John Stearns. John Stearns. I wish John the dude. Hey, there's, there's, why not just have the dude as a general manager? He'd get things done. Uh, David Stearns and uh, Theo Epstein turn us down flatly. So now uh, it's almost, like I said, Groundhog Day. Wash, runs repeat from 2020. But this time Stephen Cohen's got whatever he can offer. Uh, and I still, like I said yesterday, I still don't get how people aren't clamoring for New York. There has to be more to this. I just don't know what it is. Maybe behind the scenes, the Mets are just... Uh, Hard-nosed negotiators. Who knows? But they did shoot for the top three. And now they're going to have to settle for... I don't want to say anybody's second tier. But they're going to have to settle for one of the choices that weren't their top three. Uh, And let's face it. Top three would have brought instant credibility to the Mets. And I think people would have listened if those people... Those three were actually director of operations. They would have been able to wheel and deal with a little bit more clout with other teams, but that's not going to be the case. So now phase two has begun. So the Mets search is underway, and there's all kinds of names being thrown out there. I know Josh Burns seems to be the flavor today from the Dodgers camp, as well as Brandon Gomes from the Dodgers camp. Scott Harris, uh, Matt Arnold, Scott Harris is from the Giants, and Matt Arnold from the Brewers, and Peter Bendix from the Rays, and they're all on the radar. And it's good to see that they come from like the kind of organizations that you want to see up-and-coming president of operations come from, uh, winning ball clubs who build from within. Uh, I would have no problem. I don't know how their track record is. I'm not that deep into this, but I always believe that winners cultivate winners. If you can get a general manager or president of operations from a winning organization, more often than not, he's going to do well with yours. So uh, it's not going to be a big splash hire, that's for sure. And hard to believe, right? A New York media market uh, team like the Mets can't make a big splash, but that's how it is. And it's put the Mets in kind of a tough spot. And uh, especially with the fans, because the fans are clamoring for a winner. And Uncle Steve, I'm not going to say Uncle Steve made promises, he did say we'd be in the World Series in three to five years. But they're expecting more right now. And uh, I don't necessarily know if the fan base is going to go crazy over uh, no name. And no disrespect to anyone who's hired, but not like the big three. So uh, I guess what we're going to see is whether or not it is going to be Sandy Alderson making the ultimate decision on a candidate. Uh, or is it going to be Steve Cohen actually going ahead and uh, beginning the team search. Uh, It is hard to tell at this point uh, who is actually calling the the shots because you think like Sandy's got one more year, and I think Cohen actually does respect him as a baseball man, so it would not surprise me if uh, Sandy does make the decision, but who knows what goes on behind the doors. Uh, Once again, Sandy had his shot last year, uh, after all the candidates, his top candidates denied the opportunity, turned down the opportunity, I should say, to uh, become president of operations. And Jared Porter, uh, he lasted just over a month on the job before he was fired for sexual harassment of a female reporter that occurred during his Cubs tenure. So again, the Mets are probably going to do a little bit more background search on what's going on here. And Zach Scott, hired by Alderson as assistant general manager, was installed as the acting GM, 
but has been on administrative leave since August 31st and his arrest for DWI. I doubt he's coming back. Uh, he's awaiting a December 8 trial, and I don't even think he's going to have any ties to the Med organization whatsoever. Uh, but like I said, uh, Steve Cohen actually has his faith in Sandy. He trusts, I guess we could say. And uh, he wanted him to help build that baseball operations department. Now, we got a few strikes on us already, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I do like Sandy Alderson, but if he's going to be in, he's got to be all in. And he's got to change his thinking ways. I think sometimes he still probably gen as, acts as general manager like during the Wilpon era or every nickel and dime was secure. Uh, to win big, I think you got to spend big and you got to think big and you got to think long term. So I think Sandy does think long term. So we need a guy like that to come in and take over the show. Uh, and I think Theo Epstein would have been the perfect guy for that. He made his splash twice with the Red Sox as a world champion. The Cubs once, and both of those teams were quagmire. They they weren't winning championships for decades. Uh, but the team and Epstein came to a conclusion. It just wasn't right for either one of them. And for a second straight year, the Mets were denied permission to speak to Stearns. I think Stearns might have been open to coming to the Mets because he was a Mets fan growing up, and he is from the area. Uh, and he built, got a hand to him. Uh, it's not a major market team, the Brewers, but he has built them into a winning ball club the last few years. And hats off to Mr. Stearns. And uh, like I said, Billy Bean, I thought would have been a natural fit with Sandy Alderson. Get that old Oakland A's money ball philosophy going. But he will remain with the Athletics, and I think he that is his home. Uh, he might have been a little bit out of place in New York, but he did speak with Sandy. And uh, I guess they could just gauged his interest and in whether or not he was willing to come to New York. And uh, it probably would have taken a tremendous offer here in the common. I can see why he's probably staying with Oakland. He is the Oakland A's. Actually, when I think of the Oakland A's, I think of Billy Bean. <laughs> it's one of those, what's the first thing that comes to your head when I say uh, Oakland A's? Well, Billy Bean is, what for the modern A's, it's Billy Bean for me. Uh but you never know. They could still get a big name somehow, somehow. But what they need more than anything is someone who's going to... Baseball is changing. The game of baseball, the way it's played today, is changing. So they're going to have to have someone who is adapting to the times the way they are. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, and don't forget, Steve Cohen at one time was in line to, to take over the ownership of the Los Angeles Dodgers, but that fell through. And he was actually going to hire Tony Orusa as his president of operations. So you never know. Sandy could go big time and it could be an unexpected big time. We shall see. Uh, Greg Fokker says, I don't see the Mets in the World Series in three to five years and don't take Stearns. Well, Greg, we can't even predict as baseball experts, no matter how much you know, what's going to happen in one year. I mean, everyone thought the Padres would be one of the hot teams, and look what happened to them. No one expected the Giants to do what they did, and look what happened to them this year. So I could say that, too. I could say they will be in the World Series in three to five years. I could say they won't be in the World Series in three to five years. But the fact of the matter is, all you can do is plan accordingly. Uh, everyone has their own different opinions. And uh, who knows? <laughs> Whoever this World Series championship the team may be, they may not even win the World Series. 
but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's going to be interesting, without a doubt. But speaking of the glory days of the Mets, now, the Mets didn't win the pennant in 1973, but it was one hell of a series, and we've been talking about it the last couple of days, and let's go into the deciding Game 5 uh, matchup between the Mets and the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, it was a beauty. It was a beaut. Uh, and it was at Chase Stadium. Those were the days when the first two games were played on the road. It was a best of five for the league championship series. And the last three games were played at home. Now, with the series all tied up at two games each in best of five series, it all came down to one game, the decisive game five for the NL pennant. Now, the Mets' long season took them here. An official crowd of 50,323 filled into Shea Stadium for a chance to see their team get to the World Series. And just like today, if you're in the New York area, it was a beautiful day. Uh, and the game, hold on to your pants here. This is a playoff game, the signing five here. Number five, for all for the Marvels, only took two hours and 40 minutes to play. Now, that day, back in the day, now I know things were a lot cheaper, but the winning club would earn 14000 per share, and the losers would earn about 6000 And what was hurting the Mets on this day was they had to play without their main RBI man, Rusty Staub. Le Grand Orange. Uh, he was one of the big bats in the lineup that year. And Stop had injured his shoulder, crashing into the outfield wall, making a spectacular catch in Game 4. Ed Cranepool was in the lineup playing in left field, and Cleon Jones moved over to play right field. And like I said, I loved the lineup at the Reds that year. It was Pete Rose, and for today's lineup, it was Pete Rose left field batting first, batting second, Joe Morgan playing second, Dan Dreesen batting third, playing third base, Tony Perez cleanup playing first base Johnny Bench batting fifth and catching Ken Griffey that's junior Ken Griffey senior uh batting sixth playing right field Cesar Geronimo one of the great defensive center fielders and what an arm he had he was batting seventh and playing center Darrell Chaney probably the weakest league in the lineup uh batting eighth and playing short and Dave uh not Jack Billingham now who remembers Jack Billingham how is his role in baseball trivia well, he gave up Hank Aaron's 714th home run the next year. Uh, but today he was pitching in the decisive game five. For the Mets, we had Wayne Garrett leading off and playing third base. Felix Mion batting second, playing second. Cleon Jones playing right field, batting third. John Milner playing first and batting fourth. Ed Cranepool batting fifth in left field. Jerry Grody catching and batting sixth. Don Hahn center field, batting seventh. Bud Harrelson batting eighth, playing short. And Tom Terrific. The franchise. If you're going to have your Game 5 pitcher be a big one, it's got to be your franchise. And then Tom was our franchise. Now for the Mets, Tom, who was the 73 Cy Young Award winner, was 19-10, and 10, 208 ERA with 251 Ks that year. He took the mound, but he just didn't have his stuff. His fastball was not working for him. Uh, a lot of people thought Seaver may have been fatigued working on three days rest after pitching nine innings in Game 1. And he struggled all afternoon without the use of his fastball. He would have to work hard today using other pitchers, pitches in his arsenal. Seaver said, Jerry Grody realized that right away. He made me change my whole game. He made me change my speeds. In the top of the first, Pete Rose, now public enemy number one in New York after what happened in game four, walked to the plate to a tremendous chorus of boos and obscenities. Uh, I mean, game three, I, yeah, it was game three that he had to fight with, buddy. He grounded out to Felix Milan at second, and the Met fans cheered. 
Seaver then walked Joe Morgan, served up a single to Dan Dreesen, and then tossed a wild pitch advancing the runners. Tony Perez was the batter. Seaver later explained the at-bat, I had to get Perez out, so I would have to put Johnny Bench on. I got Perez on a singer, a good pitch. And God bless Jerry Grody. He made a hell of a play in the first inning that might have changed the whole game. Grody held on to a foul tip for out number two. Bench was walked intentionally, and young Ken Griffey flew out to center field. The Reds sent Seaver's same opponent from game one to the mound in the finale, Jack Billingham, as I mentioned before. And Jack had a pretty decent year in 73. He was 19-10 with 3.04 ERA and 155 strikeouts. Now, after Wayne Garrett grounded out, Billingham ran into trouble. The steady Felix Milan single, and Cleon Jones followed with another base hit to right field. The hammer, John Milner, then drew a walk to load the bases. Steady Eddie Cranepool in the lineup for the injured stop had said with a smile before the game, I'll be in left field today in Pete Rose's Rose Garden. I hope I bloom. <laughs> ah, you gotta love Eddie, the senior statesman and spokesman for the Mets. He sure did as a steady Eddie delivered with a base hit to Rose in left field. Mian and Jones scored as Shea Stadium went crazy. They erupted in a wild roar. Billingham retired Jerry Grody and Don Hahn, but New York was up to nothing. And you always want to take that lead in a decisive game. Now in the Reds' third inning, Rose grounded out weekly deceiver and left the field to more booze. They weren't going to go easy on Pete in this series, that's for sure. Then Joe Morgan doubled and advanced the third on a right fielder error on Rusty Stop. Dan Dreesen had a sacrifice fly to Cranepool and left, putting the Reds on board 2-1, to one, so the deficit was cut to 1. In the top of the fifth inning, the Reds tied it up. Uh-oh, we didn't want to see this happening, did we, Met fans? As Rose led off with a double and scored on Tony Perez's single to right field. The game was tied, and everyone held their breath until the bottom of the inning. This was a Met team with a lot of heart. They were used to being counted out and coming from behind. It's a core, also had his numbers. A lot of members from the 69 World Championship team, and uh, they knew how to win. I mean, they may not have been the most talented, but they were there before. And they quickly responded to the Reds tying the game. Wayne Garrett led off with a double the right field, getting the Mets fans to start. Let's go, Mets. Next up, Felix Mion, who was second in the NL in sack hits on the season, was called on to do the same thing. Yeah, back in 73, they bunted the runner over. Huh. What did they know that we didn't know now? Or what do we know now that they didn't know now? Uh, the bun was fielded up at Billingham, who was instructed by Bench to throw to third base. At third, rookie Dan Dreesen fielded the ball and stood on the base. Dreesen, a natural first baseman in a different position, had a mental lapse. He never tagged Garrett, and since there was no force play, all runners were safe. Reds manager Sparky Anderson told the media it was just inexperience, and he defended Dan Dreesen. Next, Cleon Jones delivered with his second hit of the game, a double off the left field wall scoring the go-ahead run. Anderson yanked Billingham, bringing in Don Gullett. Yeah, the flamethrower, Don Gullett again, 18-8, 3 3.51 ERA on the season. And uh, John Miller drew a walk, and then a very special moment happened at the Big Shea. Yogi Berra then set up the great Willie Mays to pinch hit for Ed Cranepool. As he walked to the plate, the Shea Stadium crowd gave Willie an incredible standing ovation. Well, it may have been his final last time at bat in New York City. He would get one final at bat in Game 3 of the World Series, however. It was a very touching moment. 
Even Reds catcher Johnny Bench gave Mays a tap on his back as he stepped to the box. The Reds manager, Sparky Anderson, changed pitches again, bringing in Quay Carroll. He was their go-to guy with 14 saves on the year. And the national, and a lot was happening in the world that day, the national NBC television broadcast cut away to report that Vice President Spiro Agnew had resigned. They later had to apologize to the public for cutting away, so in the heat of an exciting Game 5, we were watching Spiro Agnew. But Mays, who had just batted 211 on the season, came through in his first at-bat of the NLCS. He bounced a high Baltimore chop toward third base, reaching safely with an infield hit. And it was enough to score Mion and make it a 4-2 Mets lead as Shea Stadium gave Mays another standing ovation. Mays said after the game, I want to do something for this team. They've taken care of me all year. I mean, they didn't bother me about playing. You always want to play, but when you get older, and Willie left it at that. And after Jerry Grody grounded out, center fielder Don Hahn grounded short, but John Milner came in to score from third base. Bud Harrelson, New York's latest favorite underdog hero, stepped into a huge ovation and singled to Rose in left field. How ironic. Field that ball, Pete. Field that ball. Mays crossed the plate, and the Mets had a commanding 6-2 lead and never looked back. In the home six, Tom Cedar led off with a double to left field with two outs, and the hot-hitting Cleon Jones brought in Seaver with a setting up the middle, making it 7-2. And on the mound, Seaver allowed just one hit over the next three innings, and a very tense atmosphere led us to the ninth inning. At this point in the game, in time, the Reds threatened a bit, but most people were more concerned about what was going on around Shea Stadium. Now, unfortunately, many of the younger fans had made their way from the upper deck to the box seats area in order to charge the field after the final out was made. The lower level was overflowing with fans who wanted to be a part of the action. In the ninth, Cesar Geronimo lined out to Mion for the final out, first out, I should say, and Seaver began to tire. Uh, he gave a base hit to Pinchetto Ari Stahl and then walked Hal King. On the first base side, the temporary seating area collapsed from the weight of fans making their way down. The game had to be halted for 10 minutes when Pete Rose was at bat. Seaver himself walked over to the area and told fans to calm down. They still had to finish the game. A wife of the Reds team doctor fell down and was stepped on. She was escorted away in tears. Reds coach Alex Grandma knew what was coming and urged the players' wives section to leave the box seat area. They were escorted into the Reds' dugout to the clubhouse. Reportedly, a rowdy fan pulled Mrs. Phil Gagliano's hair as she climbed into the Reds' dugout. Phil then punched the fan. He got off the top of the dugout area. Sparky Anderson had this to say, It's unbelievable me. I just can't believe they don't have better control over the people. It makes me ashamed I am in this country. But I'm not too sure New York is in this country. Not after this week. Normal fans don't act that way. They must be on dope or something. Now, let's admit those were harsh words for a whole city because out of a few out-of-hand fans, especially Mr. Rose was the one who started a fight with a much smaller guy two days earlier, stirring things up. Those words would certainly not be tolerated today in in today's politically correct times. When play resumed, Pete Rose had an 0-2 count and took a close pitch. Seaver and Grody both thought it was strike three, but umpire Bruce Fremming thought differently. Rose then drew a walk to load the bases. Yogi Berra went to his bullpen, bringing on one of the baseball's top relief pitchers, especially the last two months of that season, Tug McGraw. Seaver left to a tremendous ovation. McGraw entered to the exact situation he wanted to be in. He walked into the Mets infield meeting on the mound and got the ball from Yogi. Everyone knows 
that the World Series was waiting for the Miracle Mets. McGraw got Joe Morgan to pile up the infield as our favorite buddy, Buddy Harrelson, made the grab for out number two. Now the tension really mounted as public enemy number one in New York, Pete Rose, was on first base. The Shea fans were looking like hungry lions waiting to devour their prey. Everyone that rents camp was concerned with Rose's safety. New York was a rough place in the 70s, and security measures for a crowd this large were not as advanced as in today's times. On the radio, uh, on the radio, MLB broadcaster Vince Gully kept emphasizing over and over his concerns for Rose to get off the field safely, hoping the fans would behave. Dan Dreesen and grounded out to McGraw. He tossed the ball to John Milner at first for the final out. And yes, the Mets had done it. They won the pennant and were headed to California for the World Series. McGraw held on to his cap and ran for his life as the fans stormed the field. Willie Mays had to fight off a fan to protect his cap as he ran to right field bullpen area for safety. Mays said it was the only cap he had left and felt it was a good luck charm. He'd rather give up his uniform shirt. Pete Rose had to make it to the Reds' dugout for his safety. He later claimed he was never more scared in his whole life. After the game, he said, I'm still thinking we can win this game. They're scaring me to death. I had 15 guys with bats ready to protect me, but I was never touched. I got out of there first. Fast. Johnny Bench added, our first concern was Pete's safety. I thought someone might try to kill him. If the cops weren't going to stop these, these maniacs, we would. Uh, Pete Rose says, New York doesn't deserve a pennant. They deserve... They let the fans out of the zoo for the game and take them back when it's over. Jerry Rohde said he better get the hell out of here in a hurry. Uh, the Reds were very upset as they banged the lockers and walls of the visiting clubhouse in uh, Shea Stadium. Most of their rage was geared toward the fans to cover up their frustrations of losing to the underdog Mets. Johnny Bench told the press, We had Seaver on the ropes in the first inning with another hit, and bingo, maybe he'd be out of there. We didn't get that hit. The Reds boarded their bus home to a long winter. A fan with a bugle stayed by the Reds' bus and played taps for over an hour. Fans did storm the field, but mostly in celebration, shouting, we're number one. Unfortunately, they did rip part of the turf, making huge craters on the field. The bases, pitchers, rubber, and parts of the outfield fence were all gone. The police estimated that one-third of the crowd had jumped onto the field after the game. It was a bad scene, and the organization was embarrassed. Seaver spoke out embarrassed by some of the fans' actics. These fans don't care anything about baseball or us winning. It's just an excuse to tear up everything in sight. Luckily, the grounds crew had a fall week before the World Series was to be played at Shea. In the Mets locker room, there was a happy, joyous chaos of a victory celebration. From last place in August to an NL pennant a bit over a month later, their run was incredible. This was another Mets miracle finish. Not as surprising as 1969, but very, very memorable. The Mets were now going to win their second World Series in four years and had to be acknowledged as the winners. The players doused each other in champagne as Tug McGraw was heard yelling repeatedly, you gotta believe, you gotta believe. Tom Seaver poured some bubbly on the New York City Mayor, John Lindsay, saying once again, referring to what he had done in 1969. And John Lindsay played the role of a good guy by saying yes, once again. Willie May said to him, Mr. Mayor, you don't know how good I feel. I come in, I came in a winner, and I am going out as a winner. Seaver talked about the game. Of course I was tired, but I had a lot of good stuff. Jerry Grody called a good game. He called a lot of change-ups on bench and others that made me more effective than I might have been otherwise. He's been catching me seven years now and knows me. Willie May said he had a lump in his throat when he came to bat as a pinch hitter in the game. He was reminded he, as a rookie in 1951, 
when he was just 22 years old, was on deck when Bobby Thompson hit his famous shot heard around the world to win the 1951 New York pennant for the Giants. May said, when Thompson hit it, I was on deck and scared to death. Today I was hoping to be up when something was happening. I think the pressure was on the pitcher. I like pressure. He added this team was all about togetherness. Manager Yogi Berra said, Whatever, whoever figured we'd win it and wind up in the World Series. They really played ball since we got them all together. The team's owner, Joan Payson, said, I'm so stunned I could scream. And as a 12-year-old, I was screaming. I was ecstatic over what was going on at City, uh, City Field. <laughs> City Field, Shea Stadium, what's still the same to me. Uh, Shea Stadium that day. I wasn't able to attend the games, but I was home from school watching that game on TV. And it was just fantastic. It was fantastic. And so the 73 season has a special meaning to me because that's when I was really, my life was obsessed by baseball and the Mets were a major reason why that year. And it was a miracle run. Unfortunately, we didn't do it against the A's, but we did well against the Reds. And that was fun. You know what else is fun, my friends? Celebrating Met birthdays. And we got quite a few. And we dig deep for these Met birthdays for you. Why did you know that it's Whit Matthews' birthday? Yes, Whit Matthews. Who's Whit Matthews? Well, he was an administrative assistant with the Mets from 1963 to 64. Where else are you going to get that kind of birthday information? Happy birthday, Whit Matthews. Shout out to Bobby Floyd, a coach for the Mets from 2001 to 2004. Uh, it's his birthday today. A happy 78th to Bobby Floyd. Uh, happy, 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 happy to Mex, Keith Hernandez. One of my, as I call, my trifecta of Met players. My other two favorites are David Wright and Tom Seaver. But I just love Mex all around. Not only, to me, Tom Seaver was the ultimate professional. And the leader of the 69 team. David Wright was just an all-around great guy who you could not root for. Who had so much natural ability. But Keith Hernandez, I have loved him as both an announcer and a player. Uh, the way he played the game so intelligently, and I think a lot of the ways that Keith played the game as a player are now part of today's game on a regular basis. I think he was ahead of his time. And uh, five times he won gold gloves with the Mets. He was a silver slugger with the Mets in 84. Uh, player of the month in July of 85. He was the captain. And uh, why he's not in the Hall of Fame, I don't know. But I'm so glad we get to enjoy him almost daily on New York Med Broadcast. He is my favorite announcer of all time. There, I said it. Uh, happy birthday to Rick Ownby. And ironically, Rick Ownby, along with Neil Allen, was traded for Keith Hernandez. So the birthday boys swapped. They didn't swap birthdays, but they swapped teams. Rick Ownby, happy birthday. Uh, happy birthday, happy, happy, happy. To Jonathan Hurst. If you guys remember Jonathan Hurst, you're you're diehard Met fans because he was on the Wayne 1994 team. Pitched in seven games, ten innings, when he rated 12.60. Happy birthday, Jonathan Hurst. And maybe he's luck would a little bit better if he didn't wear number 13, but that's the number he wore with the Mets. And Mel Harder, one of the great pitchers back in the day with the Cleveland Indians. Well, Happy birthday to Mel. Now, why are we celebrating a Cleveland Indian player? Well, he was a Met coach in 1964. So, happy birthday to Mel Harder. 
Uh, actually, I'm sorry, Mel Harder passed away on this day. So I take that back and I apologize to the Harder family. He passed away on this day and uh, also passing away on this day, Chuck Hiller. Uh, Chuck Hiller was a second baseman for the Mets in 65 through 67. Uh, all told, he had 594 at-bats, and he also passed away on this day. Boy, do I feel like a jackass now. But I apologize. Uh, I, I, uh, simple misinterpretation, and I apologize. I hate to say it's someone's birthday when it's actually the day they died, so I feel horrible about it. Uh, what's going on in the greatest New York Mets baseball Facebook group there is? Well, I'm glad you're asking. Uh, and I'm here to tell you all about it. Uh, as every, if you're not, well, here's my shameless plug. If you're not a member of the New York Mets Baseball Way of Life Facebook group, please, please do join. We have great content every day, great fans participating. And if you're a Mets fan, it's a must, must thing. Uh, if you ever want to reach out to me, my email address is P-H-I-L-S-T-A-N-4-1 at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you. And like I said, we're broadcasting on basically everywhere now. Twitter, Facebook. I'm on two Facebook groups, Baseball Way of Life, uh, New York Mets Way of Life, and Utopian. So that's three that we broadcast daily to. And two YouTube channels, the Utopian Baseball uh, Universe YouTube channel and the Baseball Way of Life YouTube channel. And this is always simulcast and put on to our... Uh, podcast immediately after the show so if you missed it and you want to listen to the podcast you're out there and about uh please uh subscribe to the podcast no matter where you are almost every carrier carries us and why wouldn't they we're that good uh so please check us out uh we gotta go for it and so even south tartaglia big philly fan and so i want to get you on one of these ventures soon uh, now that I'm doing all these broadcasts everywhere, I'm like diarrhea, I'm everywhere. You've got a lot to say, and I'd like to sit down and talk to you one of these days. So if, uh, give me a shout out, either my email, philstan41gmail.com. I'm sure we could shoot the breeze and talk like there's no tomorrow. Even though you're a Philly fan, I break bread with everybody. Hey, I'm even Facebook friends with Jimmy Rollins. Jimmy Rollins accepted my fan, uh, my friend request, so not that bad. And I do love Philly history. And I love the ballpark. I just had a couple instances there where things just didn't work out. But that's for another story, another time. Okay, uh, here we go. Let's rock and roll. What's going on in the group? Uh, again, we're doing this broadcast. That's what's going on. Uh, and then I popped out a question the other day. I said, what's the first thing that pops in your head when I say Yoannis Cespedes? Uh, Ron Davis says, give me great me-me player. Selfish. Ron Kaplan is great in the short run, but not the long haul. David J. Rubin said, missed opportunities. I lost a fortune of money on his memorabilia. Uh, Dan Wiener basically summed it all up and says, could have, should have, would have. Dave Dickey says, I was wrong. I supported the signing. I think most people did. It was almost a must signing because he was the face of the franchise at the time, and it would have been setting the Mets back Horribly as a public relations move. They didn't re-sign Yoannis. Uh, but even Dave says he was totally self-centered and a numbskull. Wild boar, horse, hole in the ground. You got it. Daniel Murphy says bad trade or Mr. I.L. 
Paul Rubin says that three-wheeled vehicle he drove in the spring training after signing that huge contract. Betsy Dylan Christopher says, egotistical clown. Marty Rose says, the run in 2015. Ron Davis says, 2015 hero. Jeff Kember says, his time was short. And Israel Rosales, lo potencia. Yeah, those were the good old days when we called them lo potencia. Uh, and then I put a poll up there. How would you grade Luis Rojas as 10 years manager? 60% of you gave him a C. 40% of you gave him a B. And uh, Anthony Morasco gave him an incomplete. So there you go. Those are some of the good things we're always talking about in the group. So come on board. Join the crowd. Uh, like I even asked, how, what do I, what's the first thing that pops in your head when I say Joe McEwing? And why do you have great answers? Here are some of them. Uh, Dave Dickey says, Swiss Army Knife, future manager. Ron Davis, gutsy player. And he owned Randy Johnson. Johnny Reagan, County College of Morrison, Randolph, New Jersey graduate. David J. Rubin, possibly our next manager and a real super utility pro, uh, player. Cool stuff, guys. I love all your answers to all these things, and it makes the group so great. Uh, what else has happened on this day? Well, on this day in 1969, we are talking about the 73 season. The Mets joined the AFL's New York Jets and the Apollo 11 astronauts as the Mets became the third group this year honored with the ticker tape parade on Broadway. The world champions attended three rallies throughout the Big Apple with hundreds of thousands of New Yorkers enjoying the day-long festivities. Fun times indeed. And it is now time for our trivia and Jeopardy questions today. The, day, the moment of the day you all look forward to. I know that. I just know you do. Uh, you can't hide it from me anymore. But before we do that, let's go into some of the transactions that happened on this day. 1965, the Mets traded Al Jackson and Charlie Smith, a big trade at the time, to the St. Louis Cardinals for Ken Boyer, who was one of the premier third basemen during his era. This day in 1970, the Mets sold Larry Bernarth to the Milwaukee Brewers. And this day in 1971, the Mets sold Ron Taylor to the Montreal Expos. And on this date in 2009, the Mets released Ken Takahashi. So that's some of the good stuff that happened on this date. Now, as promised, we are going to go ahead and go with the Met Trivia and Jeopardy question of the day. Here we go. Here's the trivia question. Who was the last Met pitcher to win the Relief Man of the Year Award? Write it down, lock in your answer, and now we're going to go to the Jeopardy question. Claimed by the New York Mets on waivers from the Los Angeles Dodgers on April 3rd, 2002. Second clue is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and reportedly passed up a million-dollar signing bonus in order to serve a mission in Japan. Was originally drafted by the California Angels and was traded to the White Sox while in Japan as a missionary. As always, I'm going to take a sip of Joe while you guys answer these questions. Big ones, my dog and myself here. As you can see, I'm wearing Met gear, even when I'm taking portraits of myself with a dog. And he's a good, a good dog, Jeff. So he loved the Mets. Okay. Here is the trivia question. The answer. Who was the last Met pitcher to win the Relief Man of the Year award? Why, it was none other than Armando Benitez, 
They no longer have the Relief Man of the Year Award. I think they stopped it around 2012. But Armando won it in 2001. And our group has met historian Harvey Porras was the first one to come in with the correct answer on that one. Thanks, Harvey. And uh, our Jeopardy, the two clues claimed by the New York Mets on waivers from the L.A. Dodgers on April 3rd, 2002. And number two is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and reportedly passed up a million-dollar signing bonus in order to serve a mission in Japan. He was originally drafted by the California Angels and traded to the White Sox while in Japan as a missionary. Well, the correct response to that one is, who is McKay Christensen? Now, can I be honest? I didn't think anybody would get this one. I didn't think anybody would get this one. But Mr. California himself, Mr. Met Memorabilia Collector, Mr. Biggest Met Fan on the West Coast, David J. Rubin, came through with the answer. Congrats. So that's going to wrap things up for today. As always, I want to thank you all for uh, watching, listening, whatever you're doing, however you're getting this, however you're devouring this 40-minute something broadcast. I want to thank you all again, and we'll be back tomorrow with some more great stuff. And again, thank you for your patronage. Thanks for listening. It means a lot to me. And even during the off-season, it's fun to say this. Let's go Mets!